What does it mean to be a successful public transit agency? What are you doing to lead the way? It's time to learn from the top transit professionals from around the world. This is Transit Unplugged with your host, Paul Comfort. Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort, and this is the world's number one transit executive podcast heard in 100 countries. Today, we're excited to bring you one of the world's leading transit executives, Jeremy Yap. Jeremy is the Deputy Chief Executive of Public Transport Policy and Planning for the Land Transport Authority in Singapore. He's also Chair of the Organizing Authorities Division, UITP, and Vice President of the UITP Executive Board. Jeremy, welcome to the program. Thank you, Paul. Glad to be on Transit Unplugged. Yes, great to have you with us. This is uh, this is an honor for me. As you know, uh, we were just both on a, a big UITP webinar last night with almost 600 people from around the world, and I was fascinated uh, by what you're doing there in Singapore. I can't wait to dig in today and unpack it all. Sure, I'll be happy to tell you about it. That's great. First off, though, um, maybe you could give us some context for our listeners around the world that are geographically challenged, like a lot of people <laughs> are. Tell us about Singapore, you know, the island nation, and give us kind of a take on the country itself. Okay, so first first up, I thought I should clarify Singapore is not part of China. All right. It's on <laughs> yeah. the tip it's on the tip of the Malaysian Peninsula. All right. Uh, we are just across from Johor, the southernmost uh, tip of uh, Malaysia. Uh, so, so Singapore is an island as well as a city state with uh, state functions, and so we are very densely populated. We are only 720 square kilometers, and but we have about 5.6 million inhabitants. So that makes us pretty, uh, pretty dense. And so that that means that we need to have an efficient way of moving people about. And uh, you know, being part of the Land Transport Authority here in Singapore, this is part of you know moving, keeping Singapore moving. And Singapore is in the tropics, so. So, uh, you know, it's about around 30 degrees Celsius all year round with rain, you know, and uh, quite a bit of humidity. So a lot of the, you know, the infrastructure that we put out here in the Land Transport Authority in Singapore is, is in air condition because we don't have the four seasons. And we are multi-racial, multi-religious society. And so we need to have an inclusive culture. And that also plays out in the way that the transport system and other sectors uh, support the population and the employment. So that's a, in a nutshell, Singapore. <laughs> yes, that's great. So um, I'd like to tell us about yourself some before we get into your actual agency. You've got a fascinating career. And uh, most of the people, the tens of thousands of listeners we have around the world, many of them, I actually think most of them work in the public transportation industry. So I'd like to share with them kind of the career story of our guests, because everybody wants upward mobility and you've made it to the top of the industry. So tell us how you got there. Okay, I, I didn't originate in the public sector. I, I actually uh, had a career practicing law. I am still an advocate and a solicitor of the Supreme Court of Singapore. I was called to the bar. So I practiced for several years uh, doing uh, litigation, court work. Uh, then I joined LTA as, uh, as a legal advisor, you know, and uh, then I got into policy work and I was uh, seconded to the Ministry of Transport from the LTA for a good number of years. And so that's where I honed uh, my policy skills and developed my policy acumen. And then 
part of my my work also deals with uh, right now in my career as deputy chief, oversee both the operational aspects as well as the longer term strategic planning aspects. So if you would call it multifocal kind of a job, uh, some call it ambidextrous, right? Because you have you need to pay attention to the burning platforms, Paul. But at the same time, you need to have a longer view of things, you know, and COVID you know, has that sort of a thing as well, the two dimensions, because you just can't look at the firefighting aspects. You have to look at the recovery, right? And and whether directionally you need to change paths or the flight path changes and all that. So in, in short, uh, you know, I, I changed course in my career from a practicing lawyer. I, I came into the public sector because I really wanted to, I've always been keen on the public sector. So I thought that that was a good opportunity for me to transit. And I've never regretted, never looked back on the public sector. I think uh, I like to think that I've been of good help uh, in trying to make uh, you know the experience of experiences of Singaporeans uh, better in terms of the way they travel uh, and expanding the mobility options for Singaporeans. So, in a nutshell, that's where you know uh, the career has taken me. That's great. You have a family? Yes, I do. Yeah, and my wife is in the public sector. Yeah, okay. so so we both uh, are in the public sector. She's in a different sector, and you know, and I'm in transport. But we we love uh, you know uh, serving the members of public and uh, developing and shaping policies that will make a difference. That's wonderful. You and I have that in common. I'm an attorney as well and practice law for a while. I uh, and I think you and I share a passion that what we're doing in the public transit sector really does make a difference in the lives of millions of people every day. Uh, and Absolutely. If we, if we do it wrong, we can ruin someone's day. If we do it right, <laughs> we can make all the connections seamless so they don't even think about it, right? And, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's one of the fascinating things I love about your transportation system. As I told you, I, I really believe that your transit system, the Land Transport Authority, is one of the premier transit agencies in the world. And I can't wait to describe it. Let's get into it now. Give us, um, give us a description of your agency as a whole. Uh, and how it fits into the political structure there in Singapore. So the Land Transport Authority is a statutory board, a part of the Ministry of Transport, which is the parent ministry. So under the ministry, you have maritime, you know, you have aviation, but this is the land transport sector. So we are about 6,800. So what we do on a day-to-day basis is we plan, we build, we design, we construct, we oversee the projects of of the metro, we're expanding the metro network. Just to give you uh, some, some sense of the pace of development, we are about 230 kilometers of rail right now, metro. And uh, in about 2030 or thereabouts, we'll be pushing to about 360 kilometers. And that means, Paul, uh, in practical terms, uh, we, we build one kilometer of tunnel every month. And every two months, we pop up an MRT station or a, a metro station somewhere underground uh, on top. And that goes on all the way until 2030. That's the pace of uh, construction that is uh, that we have to undergo in order to develop and expand a more comprehensive network, which is the backbone of the transport in Singapore. I, I alluded to the fact that we are very densely populated and along uh, certain geographical corridors is where we need to have very uh, high quality uh, public transport uh, that will get people, uh, connect people to places and their possibilities. So you're part of the national, in Singapore, uh, is there like a city government and a national government or is it all just one government? 
we are pretty flat. Uh, we don't have a federal state system. Okay. Uh, so we are quite flat. Uh, we report to, uh, you know, the government, which is on a national level. And uh, the, stat, the, the ministry is actually form the, the, the governing uh, arms of the government, actually, uh, over the different sectors. And the stat boards just uh, are very much the execution arm of the ministry. But of course, we do uh, have a discourse on the policy design uh, because, uh, you know, the implementation is very crucial uh, if you design it properly. Yeah. And what type of government do you have there? Is it a parliamentary system or what type of system do you have? It's a Westminster parliamentary system. Mm -hmm. So uh, we've had a stable government for a long time. Uh, so we have an, uh, a leader of the opposition here already uh, in the past election, but majority, uh, the ruling party has been around uh, since independence in 1965. Oh, that, that's the year I was born. Very good. We both were created <laughs> the same year. Um, and uh, so you're you're going on your 56th uh, birthday this year, your country. Huh? Absolutely. We were yeah. born in the same year. That is, uh, in, in Singapore terms, our Medeka year, the year that... Uh, you know, we were we were you know born as a nation, uh, got independence from Malaysia. We were part of the Malaysian Peninsula at one time, uh, and so we have became independent in 1965. And uh, you know, the rest is history uh, to where we are today. And how is your agency funded? So we are funded stat board. So we receive government grants. Uh, you know, a management fee to perform what we need to do, uh, and of course, as a matter of cost discipline. Uh, we interact with the ministry on the areas of responsibility, what we ought to be doing more, what we ought to be doing less to keep cost discipline. Uh, because, uh, you know, it, it could if you don't manage funds properly, and, and, and we do manage public funds, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's crucial. So, so just to give you an idea, we have spent over 60 billion recently on the expansion of new lines, on re renewal, big renewal projects in, in signaling, in comms, in uh, uh, power, in track circuit, all these things that will deliver high reliability in the metro for, for our commuters. In fact, I, I would, if you allow me to, to give a little bit of a post in Singapore and the system, and we have developed what we call uh, 1 million, we have surpassed the 1 million mark as a system in the metro of what we call mean kilometers before failure meaning oh, wow. um, runs 1,000, you know, 1 million, uh, 1 million uh, NKBF uh, before, you know, a, a commuter gets to, you know, experience failure. And that is the, you know, how we want to deliver a high quality public transport uh, for our commuters because Singaporeans deserve that. Um, so, so we thought, you know, this is something that we'll put resources behind and we manage it properly so that we can keep uh, you know, that reliability very high. Just like if you turn on the tap, you expect water to flow. In the same right. way, transport is like that. You know, if you if you view reliability in those terms, then as good as turning on a tap, it flows. It doesn't, you know, stop suddenly in the middle of nowhere. So that's what we aspire to do. That's great. Let's walk through the modes now that you operate there, you know, the rail, the bus, and kind of give us a little detail about each one. How many vehicles, what your passengers are, you know, kind of walk us through each of the modes and describe them to us. Okay, so uh, the rail is the backbone. I already described it's about 230 kilometers. So we carry about quite close to about 3.4 million uh, trips each day before COVID. Right. Uh, and then the bus side of the house carries about 3.6 million. Yeah. Let me ask you to go even a little bit uh, in more depth, what we call inside sure. baseball here in America. Sure. Uh, 
So uh, what type of rail are we talking about here? Is this, uh, you know, diesel? Is it electric? Is it third rail? Is it, is it catenary wire? Kind of walk us through. We have a mix. We have uh, most of our rail are underground, except for the first line. Parts of it is elevated, but uh, large parts of it is also underground. We have a policy to ground our metro systems, uh, or at least the, the ones with larger vehicles, uh, four-car, six-car trains, we call them. Eh? Okay. So these are these are all electric runs. They they are all, in fact, many of them are driverless. Eh? Uh, so so we, 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 we already have, you know, autonomous thinking very early in our history. So driverless trains already. Uh, so we have about six, seven lines now already going. We're pushing beyond, as I've said, expanding the rail network uh, very aggressively. Yeah, and on the bus side of the house, we have about 14 packages, right? Yeah. So we, we, we have tendered about four or five packages, um, you know, from the incumbents. Uh, that We had two original bus companies who were operating here, but now Go Ahead, you're familiar with Go Ahead, yeah. they operate uh, packages here as well as Tower Transit, right? Uh, you know, tower, yeah. uh, they, they are in town as well. So, so we have four uh, very involved, very capable bus operators. And so we have 14 packages and, you know, uh, go, uh, Tower Transit operates two of them, Go Ahead operates one, and between the two uh, original incumbents, there's a division and, and uh, 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 SBST, one of the larger incumbents, operates about nine packages. Okay. So, so it's a contestable market and that one is a really what we call gross cost market. Uh, the Metro operates on what we call net cost, uh, risk-sharing uh, uh, risk uh, kind of arrangement. Very good. Yeah. As, as you and I were talking about in the green room, uh, contracting is becoming um, really, especially coming out of COVID, as some people are tighter on funds, a, a real option, not just for paratransit, but for fixed route buses like you do there in Singapore. Um, I, I noticed that um, it wasn't always that way, but you guys decided to go and contract out. Um, and are you are you satisfied with that choice? Did you feel like the customers and the and the agency have been satisfied with the choice to contract out? We are absolutely thrilled, uh, Paul, by 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 this move. I think it's a uh, it's something we have not uh, looked back, and we never regretted it. I'm glad we moved uh, there because before that, you know, where the where the the risk was very much on the operators, the revenue risk, uh, the fare box risk was very much on them, and they had to bring in their own vehicles, you know. Uh, and when we asked, you know, when commuters were up in arms about, you know route expansion and adjustments and, and meeting the needs of new developments, it was always very cagey uh, because, you know, as bottom line conscious, the operators couldn't move. But as a result of bus contracting uh, on a gross cost model, we, got, we get to call the shots because we are paying. We take the fare box revenue risk and that puts you, and in, in fact, we take the asset risk as well. So we, we actually centrally own the depots as well as the fleet. So actually, all the operators need to do here in Singapore is turn up and operate the bus services well. And yeah. so the result of that, and this is, this is where we're coming to, the bus satisfaction rates have really gone through the roof. You know, so we were in our, in our, in our, in our mid-80s and now we are in our high 90s, uh, very much uh, inching towards uh, 100% in satisfaction. So we're very happy about that from the commuter's point of view. But the key is really how to sustain subsidies uh, as uh, most countries and transport authorities would struggle with. So that's something that, of course, we have to uh, manage well. Yeah. Can you tell me about your fare box recovery ratio there on, you know, bus and rail and those kind of things? You charge a fare and 
uh, how much of how much of your cost is covered by that? Do you know? I I would not go into precision, but uh, on bus and rail, we clear we clear the halfway mark. Oh wow! Yeah, so we're we're not too bad. Yeah, we're not in the 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 point twos or the point threes. <laughs> like we are here but, in America. <laughs> <laughs> so we're we're not in a in a super healthy place, but we are we're trying to you know adapt the you know the offering as it were the supply. Uh, we all have to do that, right? We have to calibrate, and COVID gives us a different travel pattern. So we have to adapt the, you know, the new demand, as it were, with the new supply. Yeah, and and vary and that, and and, and make, making sure that it matches properly, and optimizing the network. That's the key. That's right. So you have bus and rail. What other modes do you have, and which ones are you experimenting with? Uh, not so much experimenting. The taxi industry has always been there. We see it as. Uh, you know, a first and last mile deliverer as well. Uh, of course, uh, with the disrupted taxi industry came point to point ride hail kind of services. So in Singapore, we're very fortunate. We never had a protest with the taxi community with the private hire cars. Uh, very early in the day, we brought the unions together. You know, it was harmonious. And so we are able to stitch it together, together with the bus and rail so that in an integrated fashion, uh, commuters will have even more options, uh. yeah, and so and so uh, that is one side of the house. And of course, the the next uh, the next uh, uh, spectrum that we're looking at is really about uh, autonomous uh, vehicles, because as you well know, Paul, uh, a lot of the especially for buses, a lot of the cost structures in manpower, you know, sixty uh, percent easily. Uh, so so if we could you know work on that, then services become more sustainable. Right, so so that is also the key, and 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 looking at COVID, right? If if uh, really human contact is an issue, then autonomous drivers, autonomous driving, and buses uh, for fixed and scheduled services as well as on-demand services give us additional options in terms of resilience. Right. So, um, tell us about the, your COVID experience. You mentioned that just now, uh, and walk us through, you know, what's been happening over the last year, and how are you recovering those kind of things. Yeah, so like most cities, uh, it was a revenue crisis. So ridership plummeted, uh, you know, at the point where we called it the lockdown, which is a circuit breaker, we were down in, in the 20s, 20% of the pre-COVID ridership. But we've steadily recovered. We're, we were at the 70% mark, uh, daily average ridership, both on uh, bus and metro. We were about there. And, uh, and, and we hope to recover further. You know, from there, and uh, but the interesting thing, Paul, uh, is that uh, we have seen some leveling of the peak, and that is pleasing to us because uh, it does mean that I don't have to chase after the peak and inject services just to meet the peak of the peaks, which is uh, uh, you know is 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 a very strain on resources, as you would know, you know, and and uh, and so that leveling is something that we've taken advantage of. It's something that we you know. Uh, it never wastes a good crisis, right? Also, as Winston <laughs> Churchill said, uh, make sure that when you know COVID serves it up to you, you make sure that you shape it in the way that you like it. So when we saw the peak leveling, uh, the the off peak rose, and so you know we we saw it uh, arise a couple of percentage points. It was pleasing to see, so that even as the ridership recovers, it didn't recover in the shape in the sh- same form. It recovered in a in a more distributed manner, and that was pleasing. And that's something that we seek to entrench and shape because something that is positive, you want to shape it actively, 
rather than just let it evolve. Yes, that's happening all over the world, as you know, Jeremy, is that transit agencies are taking this this crisis moment as an opportunity to reevaluate and um, reevaluate what services they're offering, focus on what are our what is our core mission? Is our core mission just to basically be a commuter service, you know, to run people in and out of the city at the AM and PM peak? Or is it to provide the mobility needs of everyone all day long? And I think a lot of folks are realizing it really is about uh, improving the customer experience and, and opening mobility options for all, to all of life's opportunities for everyone, not just going back and forth to work. Is that what you're seeing there? Yes, Paul. And, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think a good mobility system needs to be not just integrated, but inclusive. Inclusive in the sense that you expand the options and the commuters have are empowered by the choices, the options that they have. So whether it's bike share here in Singapore, uh, whether they choose to you know walk and cycle that last mile, even in the tropics here, you know we have covered lingways, um, we have uh, cycle paths that are being aggressively built. We have 480 kilometers right now. We're pushing to to 1,300 kilometers in, in 2030. So that's something that we are also aggressively building. And so, you know, we thought that, you know, in humid Singapore, nobody would cycle, but we were so wrong, Paul. Uh, so uh, uh, whether it's men in Lycra or just the average Joe, and a, a lot of people are taken to cycling. During COVID, I'm sure it was a common threat yes. in European cities. We saw in UITP, you know, suddenly cycle lanes popped up all over the city, right? Yeah. Right. So, so that is uh, that is something we want to preserve as well and entrench. Yeah. That's good. So, part of your title, Land Transport Authority, indicates uh, the land is the first word. Are you all involved in um, in land use policy decisions? And as new buildings and new developments go up, do you integrate the transit system with them ahead of time? Those kind of things. Talk to us about that. Glad you asked this question, Paul. Uh, we do. So land transport is very intricately interwoven with the land use planning process. So the urban design, uh, the whole development process, we have an interagency platform which works very closely. We have a concept plan of land use together with the other sectors. Going out 40 years, we look ahead. Every 15 years, we do a midterm review. You know, and we go through various uh, scenarios, population scenarios, employment scenarios, track the flight path, not just on a planning level, but on an execution level, right? We make sure that the land use is tightly coupled with transport. So whether it's TOD, you know, that's the practice here as well. I talked about integrated transport developments. That's a feature here where we couple land use very closely, the timing of parcels that are coming up, uh, where are the population centers, you know, and we guide the infrastructure development to where the catchment is. And that's so important, right? Because that's where people uh, work and play and, 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 and need to do and go about doing their daily business. How about like uh, the Hong Kong model where these new developments actually contribute long-term to the transit agency? Do you have any of that going on? The value of the property going up and so they should, you know, push some of that money toward transit because you're helping them, you know, bring in customers or, or their tenants? Yeah, the, the Hong Kong model is a unique one. We have a variation of it. We have a variant of it. And that is, you know, every time we put a, a new rail line, of course, the, the you know, the, 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 the land enhancement value goes up, right? We call it land value capture in some sense. Yes. And when for Singapore, it goes back into the value of the property because the controller will, will revalue 
uh, the 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 uh, the piece of property that's uh, you know where the station is or where the public transport node is, and then it gets built into the the, the taxable income uh, in terms of the property tax, the enhancement. And so we don't earmark our funds here. It goes yeah. back to the general pool. Uh, so we don't have a very strict hypothecation policy, but yeah. uh, but I would dare say that we spend a lot more than we collect, right? So uh, we our spending is in, in excess of 8 billion uh, every year, Singapore dollars. So it's, it's quite a bit. Yeah. What's the uh, what's the conversion rate? Do you know between Singapore dollars and and let's say U.S. dollars or euros or whatever to kind of give us a feel? Well, um, one thirty four. You know, Singapore dollars would get you a U.S. dollar. I think. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, so they're about very very yeah. very similar. Then okay. And uh, where are you at when it comes to service to? You know, I, I don't. I think you would, you and I share this. I'm very passionate about making sure that people with disabilities and the elderly have access to mobility. I spent most of my career, my early career, working with with. Uh, I started working at a Department of Aging for the first seven years. How do you service them? Do you have any special services, or how does that work? No, I'm very passionate about this, Paul, and I'm sure you are. So it's in the design of the system as well. Okay. So we make sure that uh, there are barrier-free routes. You know, from where people live to the transport nodes that is sheltered. Uh, there are rest stops, you know, that are tactile, you know, so that the you know, visually impaired can make their way to the station. At the stations, there are elevators, right? For for those that are, you know, not uh, 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 that, that are not so uh, mobile. And so we, we have different things and, you know, uh, wheelchair accessible buses are normal here. And, and, uh, and we have started you know, looking after dementia patients, even entering the, the metro system, uh, people with invisible needs, Paul, sometimes they are not able to tell you. So we we have actually identifiers for them. Uh, either they can choose to wear it or keep a card so that, you know, even if they can't stay anything, other commuters, we want to promote a caring commuting culture here, a gracious one. And that's a movement. And so that's something that we're working together with everyday commuters to try and improve each other's commute. And I think that is uh, something that we are very zealous to do. And I'm glad the community is responding very well. That's wonderful. How about mobility on demand? Are you starting to move into that area? That is an area that we are moving into. Of course, we've done some experiments with fixed routes, but the cost structure is something which is challenging. Especially when you you well know we serve if you serve low lying areas right uh, you know very sprawling areas uh, sometimes even your regular twelve meter buses public buses can't go there or, or even if they do then it's a disamenity right because it's a it's a very low lying area and it gets too close and the roads are narrow so you need smaller ports but you still need the same number of drivers sometimes and and that's where the manpower cost is so with autonomous driving. It may transform that financial model because you take away, you know, a good chunk of the manpower cost. So even if you put a, a safety driver on, it's not the same level because that guy doesn't drive and right. the, the, the rates are different. So, so even if it's not autonomous level five driving, autonomous level four driving, uh, we're trying to experiment that already uh, in the pilot towns in 2022. We are, we are going to Pongol, we are going to Tengah, we are going to different parts of Singapore to do trials. And these are revenue trials. Uh, you know, we've called a collaboration uh, request for collaboration 
you know, getting proposals already. In fact, we have a revenue trial that's running in Jurong Island, one part of Singapore already, revenue service on autonomous uh, buses. So that's the future. That's something that we're putting resources in. It's not just autonomous driving for the sake of autonomous driving. We, we, we really don't want to see an autonomous traffic jam. Uh, the key is how do you enhance the value proposition for public transport using the technology, using the data? I think that is the key. Excellent. So I have three more areas I want to cover. Uh, this is a fascinating conversation. Uh, one, the first one will be I want to ask you about your amazing fairing and how you ticketing and all the kind of stuff you're doing right there in that field. Then I want to talk about your 2040 goals, 2030 goals, just phenomenal, what the future is going to be bringing there. And then finally, I'd like to touch on your role at UITP and the role that UITP plays around the world. So let's touch first on your fairing and ticketing. Walk us through how all that works and your integrated network. So we have uh, distance integrated distance fare structure, meaning you can use the same stored value card. We began with that. Uh, you don't have to pay an extra boarding charge for all as you transfer from bus to rail. So the, the systems are all integrated. Back end, we allocate the revenues between the bus and rail. So we do that quite well. And recently, and that's worked out well for us because it's a cashless kind of a transaction. But to push towards um, smarter ticketing, as it were, we have gone into accounts-based ticketing. And why that is useful is because we can expand again the optionalities for commuters if they don't if they don't possess or they forgot to bring their store value card um, they can whip out their visa or their mastercard and you know they can get on the train and the buses no sweat and that's something that we are promoting and you know after two years we are at almost a 80 18 percent mark that's quite quite a good take up alongside the stored value card system and so it's very pervasive so you can use it uh, you know uh, to for non-transit purposes uh, for the transit system, and that's something that's working uh, very well for us because you can do mobile top-ups. You know, you can top up uh, backend for your children. Uh, when you lose your card, it's not anonymous, right? You can you you don't you don't have that worry anymore because everything is backend, and you don't lose any of the 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 money and uh, that is stored in the card. So it's worked out well for us. It's something that we are balancing and the commuters have given us good response That's to the product yeah i think uh keeping it simple right and uh, are you moving away from cash uh at the fare box are you encouraging people to use these cards versus cash so it speeds up the boarding process we have already moved away from cash in terms of the transaction the payment transaction because when you use stored value card there's no cash involved you right. tap and you go but i think where we are moving is the top-ups Right, because when you go to the top up machine, you're still using cash to top up, even though transactionally you're not paying by by physical cash. Right. right? So we're trying to move that entire system because it costs money to do cash handling, even for the top up machine. So yeah. with accounts based ticketing, it's all back end, right? It's the, the top up, the top ups are all back end. So you save yeah. a lot of the infrastructure that you put out in the ecosystem. So that's something that we are pushing out very aggressively. So are you saying that you don't you don't allow cash at all like they do in London where there's no cash on buses and trains? We still allow cash on buses because buses, uh, you know, they fly different routes and sometimes our seniors get on. That's something we're working as well to remove cash payment. Uh, but uh, when we reach that point, even today, you know, with the cashless payment, you can't pay by cash for the metro system. And we just allow some people with the, the last ride 
you know, just to go through. Operationally, you can always uh, handle it by exceptions. But by and large, the metro system is quite cashless already. Okay. All right. Let's switch over now and talk a little bit about the future, Jeremy, if we could. So um, I, uh, I'm fascinated by your goals. Uh, the, you know, the LTA gathered feedback from commuters about their concerns and requirements to develop a land transport master plan, which addresses your emerging challenges. And the current plan uh, goes through 2030. And I know you have other plans, too, that go beyond that. But I love one of your goals. 85% of all public transport journeys, less than 20 uh, commuters to be completed within an hour. Eight in 10 homes located within a 10-minute walk from a train station. 75% of all peak hour journeys to be made on public transport. Those are amazing, Jeremy. And you're already making progress, right? I mean, I look yeah. at your, your, your bus is 29% the same as car usage at your peak hours already. And that doesn't even count your rail and your walking and bikes. You guys are really transforming your society away from cars toward using more public mobility. Those strategies, Paul, are part of what we call a car-like movement, right? We want Singapore to be a car-like city, and it takes uh, both uh, push as well as push levers uh, to achieve that, right? So we have um, Singapore is renowned, you know, for our push levers, and they are not politically very friendly, <laughs> right? So we have uh, we control our vehicle population, right? So we cap it; it's at zero growth. We also have electronic road pricing. Right, to make sure that it's inconvenient and pricely to drive, right? Because you know roads are a scarce commodity, and so we need to price it. And that's also nudge factors to nudge people to to public transport. But you need to invest in public transport to make sure that even as you push people to your to your alternatives, they are excellent alternatives. And that's where you know high quality public transport comes into play. What's your vision and the ministry's vision for your agency and for public transportation services there in general over the next five to 10 years? I, I've outlined a few goals, but give me kind of your take on it. Where, where are you headed? And in five or 10 years from now, you're going to look behind and what's it going to look like? So it's very much outlined in our master plan 2040. Uh, basically, the three trust there is 20 minute towns, 45 minute city end-to-end. -end. So that would take an aggressive building of the metro system, you know, the bus network feeding into the metro system, uh, integrated with, uh, you know, ability of people to get around the town in 20 minutes. That means cycle lanes, on-demand transport, autonomous vehicles. That first trust. The second one is transport for all, meaning we, we don't just forget about inclusivity at the expense of efficiency, which is 20-minute town and 45-minute city is always in balance. And the third is healthy lives, safer journeys, right? To make sure that, uh, you know, we are clean in the way that we, we move. So electrification is very much, uh, you know, in the same cycle as autonomous uh, bus development. And so we look at those things together. So in five and 10 years, I hope to see a cleaner Singapore, a happier Singapore, a more efficient way uh, people travel with expanded optionalities, with more people being included in the system, accessibility is great. Uh, there's great social equity in the system. And also uh, in terms of the, the healthier uh, uh, options, right, is green and people's lives are enabled uh, because of the transport system as well. Their mobility needs are, are eased and enabled. The wonderful vision. I can't wait to uh, hopefully get a chance to visit in the next few years. It's um, good, Paul. Yes. I was, as you know, I was planning to come there uh, during <laughs> COVID hit and couldn't make it. 
Um, so let's talk a little bit about your role at UITP. And, and uh, for those who may not be familiar with the International Transport Union, tell us a little bit about it and, and then uh, you know, how it's governed and your role there and what the goals are of the, of the group. So the UITP has, uh, of course, full-time, you know, staff and, you know, it's headed by the Secretary General, Mohammed. Uh, and Mohammed, the UITP has an executive board, which I serve on. And um, it has several divisions, uh, you know, country divisions. It has uh, various divisions. And one of which is uh, the organizing authorities, meaning those who organize public transport. And so I chair that division. Uh, so we are a community of, within the division, we're a community of organizing authorities, people who plan transport. So we are not, unlike the operators, who are also part of the UITP and the suppliers, we are not in competition within, with each other because as regulators and planners, we can have a community of practice, right? We only share, we are, we are not bidding for a job as it were in the market. And so we always share good practices. And uh, this is my work in UITP to ensure that the division of organizing authorities in terms of the membership in UITP is fairly represented. And we have a good community of practice going. Yeah, we have an organizing authorities committee that does a lot of the, the work, uh, knowledge briefs, policy briefs, action briefs to, 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 to develop toolkits for authorities. Uh, you know, during COVID, the recovery, exchanging lessons, you know, looking at demand management, looking at, uh, you know, rebooting financial models, you know, post-recovery. So these are the relevant work, the future of mobility, um, you know, and uh, agility in policy making, stuff like that. So these are the areas whereby authorities, you know, come to each other and this member serving members, right, to be able to feed off one another and cross-fertilize ideas and put it out there. It's wonderful. Yeah, UITP is a wonderful organization. And uh, I think the... It's, it's massive in its scope and scale because it's global and the studies and the webinars and uh, all the resources and tools they provide to transit professionals uh, are phenomenal. And I would encourage people, if you're not a member or you're not, or you're not accessing all the resources that UITP has, if you are a member, to do so because it's just, it's so rich and in-depth. And so um, thank you for that. And I guess uh, my last question to Jeremy is, uh, as one of the world leaders in public transportation, you know, last year in July, the New York Times published an article which talked about a potential death spiral for transit because of COVID, meaning there would be, you know, the lockdown meant less riders, which means less revenue coming in, which means less service being able to be provided. And then that causes the same cycle to spin down. Well, that's been proven to be untrue, in my opinion. I believe that transit has proved to be resilient. Federal governments across the world, like here in the U.S., have stepped up to provide uh, uh, filling the gap funds to help them through the crisis. And now public transit ridership, like in Singapore that you mentioned up to 70%, we're seeing those same kind of numbers in North America in the bus services, especially not yet on the subway and commuter trains, but on the bus services, they're heading back up. So um, give us, I guess, uh, an exhortation to people who are working in public transit to talk about what is the vision of us coming out of COVID as a kind of renewed in our vision, scope, and purpose, and how do we meet the needs of people going forward? Yeah, so I would exhort, uh, you know, all public transport planners, public transport workers to not give up and not uh, uh, believe uh, that this is the end of transit. Um, in fact, I think it has presented 
transit uh, and with so many good ideas and golden opportunities. And, and it's not just a silver lining, it's golden opportunities for which we have spent a lot of effort and never able to do. So one that I talked about is the distribution and optimizing of the network. So even though it's in the state of recovery, it's how it is recovering. In which places? Is it recovering in the same way? Is it taking the same shape? So I, I would I would say that uh, there is uh, you know this is an opportunity to build back better a higher quality uh, public transport that is uh, well sanitized high levels of hygiene will attract more people and ridership you know population will still grow urbanization will still take effect and so people uh, population and, and employment will still be the drivers of growth and and, and you need to carry people. Uh, in urban cities via mass transit. So it will not go away. Directionally, we found it to be true. Uh, it's re recovery takes time, but I'm sure we'll get there. And, um, you know, it's important for governments to be responsible uh, to, to help uh, authorities tide over, you know, operators as well. And so that uh, it's all part of, uh, you know, relooking at some of the risk allocation, right, within the financial models as well. Who is better, best to bear the risk? And then, and then this is a wake-up call for us. It also shines the light of some of the gaps that are existing. And so if we look at it positively, I would exhort everyone uh, to, to be optimistic. I think the better days are yet ahead for public transport. Well said. Jeremy Yap, Deputy Chief Executive for Public Transport Policy and Planning for the Land Transport Authority in Singapore. Thank you so much for being with us today, for your guidance and your leadership, not only in Singapore, but for the entire world. Thank you, Paul. It's a pleasure. You've been listening to Transit Unplugged, powered by Trapeze Group. To stay up to date with all the new episodes, you can get updates via email or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at transitunplugged.com. And thanks for listening. And speaking of thank yous, a little late-breaking news after we recorded this podcast we learned that Transit Unplugged was nominated for two Quill Podcast Awards. They've been nominated for Best Business Podcast and Best Branded Podcast. But thanks to all of our listeners who nominated us for this award. We are really excited. We can't wait to find out the results on June 11th. <laughs>